Good morning, everyone. Say with me, Jesus is alive. Jesus loves us. And Jesus still works miracles. Amen. We've got about two or three more yard signs left if you want to get one for your yard or your fence or wherever you want to put it. Jesus is alive. Jesus loves us. And Jesus still works miracles. Apply that to your life. It gives you a new perspective or a, the right perspective. It helps us to look at things in a different, different perspective, a different angle to help us keep our mind where it needs to be. Jesus wants us to be wholehearted. Jesus lets us know that through various teachings that just like unforgiveness doesn't work, being in the world and in the kingdom doesn't work. Straddling the fence doesn't work. He asked for complete 100% devotion to have an undivided heart. And in Matthew chapter 6, the next teaching that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, is he uses money, he uses resources to help us to examine whether or not we are wholehearted or not, whether or not that God has all of our heart or just part of our heart. And, and money, of course, is going to be one of the main temptations that we will face. It will keep us from being wholehearted. It'll grip us. It is a strong, strong uh, temptation. It, it holds tight, and oftentimes we hold tight. So with that in mind, that Jesus wants us to be wholehearted, let's talk about this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is wanting us to consider where our treasure is. He wants us to think about that because Jesus says that that gives us understanding of where our heart is. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be in full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. So the first thing Jesus says to us here is in verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives us insight into a wise investment and an unwise investment. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth because it's a bad investment. He says, don't store up yourselves treasure on earth because moth, rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. And so... Investing in the world's economy more than you invest in the kingdom of God is a mistake. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, this past year, if you're like me, you probably have, have had a loss 
in your savings, in your investments. I've lost six and a half percent of what I'm trying to save up for one day. And you probably have lost something similar to that. You can't count on it. I mean, we really can't count on that those investments will be there. We, we struggle with that, right? And we, we know the scriptures teach us that we are to prepare for uh, the, down the road with perspective, with the right heart about it, trusting the Lord along the way. But we all know that earthly investments we can't hold on to. And it's foolish to even try to hold on to those earthly investments. However, investing in the kingdom, investing in eternity is a wise investment because Jesus pays good dividends. And we experience those dividends and we'll experience those dividends in, for, in the fullest position when we are in eternity. But we also experience his blessings here and now. So he begins this conversation about wholeheartedness, and, and he begins, and, and Jesus is the master teacher. And if you'll really look at this from what he's trying to accomplish, what he is saying, and if you'll look at it from 30,000 feet, if you'll look at it in the big picture and take in the context, he begins in an area that the people understand the best. They understand this. They understand that the things that they collect, the things that they treasure, the things that they hold on to, they're not permanent. They're not eternal. And, and one of the ways that you and I are able to understand where our heart is, what matters to us most, what we're truly devoted to, and if we are divided in our loyalty, in our devotion to the Lord, uh, we can ask ourselves questions like this. When you have nothing to do, when you've got some downtime, sitting on the back porch, sitting in your living room or on the lake or the golf course or whatever you like to do, taking a walk, what occupies your thoughts the most? You, I, I often think, I wonder if you think about things the way I think about things. You know, we don't know how other people process information. To me, that's, a, that's really an interesting idea. You know, I know how I process information, and it's not healthy, and it's not good, and it's a struggle. I wonder if you struggle with thoughts as well. I mean, I struggle with thoughts. I, I struggle with focusing on the wrong stuff. I struggle with not keeping my mind where it needs to be. Uh, my, my brain is uh, ADD, HD, DRT, or whatever it is, and, and my mind just goes, and I've got to be careful with it. I've got to, I've got to focus. I, I've got to have time with the Lord every single day, or I get crusty. I get irritable. I get, if, if I have two or three days where I really don't spend time with the Lord in prayer and, and allow the Holy Spirit to help me with my thoughts and my ideas, uh, my frustrations get the best of me, uh, discouragement begins to take a hold. And, it, and so I'm always battling in my mind. I wonder if you battle with your mind as well. And if we battle with our mind, then the heart is connected to our mind. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a position where we think about things in the wrong place, wrong way, and we don't have a good perspective. And so one way to discover where your heart is is think about what you think about the most when you have nothing else to do. When you, when you really have time to think and process things, what do you think about? Do you think about money? Do you think about power? 
Do you think about pleasure? Do you think about these things? What do you daydream about the most? When you, when you evaluate your daydreams, evaluate the things that just seem to flood through your mind, what do they lead you to? If you can think about that, I, I daydream about having more money. I daydream about new things. I daydream about uh, uh, this ut- utopia that I know if I can only get to that place, then I'm going to be fulfilled and satisfied. It may reveal where your heart is. What do you seem to worry about the most? A lot to worry about these days. Next week or after Easter, after Palm Sunday and Easter, we'll talk about worry. We're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about worry. What, when you do worry, we, we know that the Lord tells us not to be out of control with worry and not be controlled with worry, but when you do worry, what do you worry about the most? What, what grips you? What what has a hold on you? Do you worry about money? Do you worry about taxes? Do you worry about the situation in the world? Where, where, what do you worry about? The world? Do you worry about politics the most? Do you worry about your kids? Do you worry about your kids' role in, in, in your family? Do you worry about their place in the school? Do you worry about their successes? What do you worry about? What, what holds on to you? Beside your loved ones, besides your immediate family and your, your family, what do you dread losing the most in life? It'll reveal where our heart is. What you dread losing the most. What you really believe you can't do without. It'll reveal where your heart is. And perhaps one of the best mirrors for revealing our heart is what do you measure other people by? We all do some measuring. Uh, we all struggle with judging other people and and. You know, the, the, the slogan that says that don't judge a book by its cover, we're all guilty of that from time to time. What do, what do you judge people by? It reveals to us what matters to us most. Do you judge people or do you measure other people by how big their house is? What kind of car they drive? Perhaps what kind of clothes they wear? Perhaps you judge people by how pretty they are, by how shape they are in. Perhaps you judge people by their education. Perhaps you judge people by their children. Are their children smart? Are their children popular? Are their children athletic? We judge people by that. If we're not careful, it'll show us really clearly, very quickly, where our heart is. If we judge people by those kind of things, how do we judge people by uh, how they conduct themselves, how they carry themselves? Do you judge moms? Do you judge other, other moms by how well their kids behave or how well you perceive they behave? We all know it's never the same. Do you judge people by their Facebook pictures? Do you measure people by their Facebook pictures? Do you, Instagram, does that, you know, do you see someone's picture on Instagram and, and they had this wonderful dinner and everybody looks so happy and they smile and, and, and you look at that and maybe you're just full of envy for that because you've had a difficult time. Your family's struggling. It's a different situation. 
And, and you see this mom and this dad have these three perfect kids that are all dressed nice and they're sitting at a table and mom and, and the grandpas are there and, and uncles and aunts and just everyone's smiling. Everyone looks good. And they had this wonderful picture and it just, oh, it just grips your heart. Oh, I want that. I want to be just like that. Do you realize that more than likely that was the only sane part of their dinner <laughs> is when they took that picture? It could very well be that their life is a wreck. It could very well be that those kids did nothing but gripe and complain about what they were eating, where they were eating, and the fact that they couldn't be on their phones and they couldn't wait to get home and dad is stupid and mom is ignorant. But for that brief second, oh, the appearance, and, and you measure people by their, by their social media, and it reveals where our heart is. That would tell us that be, our image means most to us and not the heart. So how do you measure people? Consider how you measure people. It will reveal where your heart is. Jesus says here very clearly, doesn't he? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it seems to be out of place here, verses 22 and 23, but it's really not out of place. It really reveals something very important to us. And, and I think what Jesus is telling us today, just like he was telling them then, is that you are, you are likely to view things poorly. You are likely not to be aware of how things really are for you. You are, you are likely to miss it. You are likely to have a blind spot about where your heart is. And, and you need to spend some time thinking about where your heart is so that you understand and, and you can have your heart in the right spot. And so it's possible, it's likely, we all struggle with this, that we're divided in our devotion to Jesus and we don't see it. We don't know it. We're not aware of it. And we all struggle with self-awareness. And Jesus says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if your awareness of who you are is healthy, that means you recognize where your heart is. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You can see well. You can see. Light helps us see. You might, might wonder why it is we sing in the dark and they turn the lights on for me. I, I, I know they want, we want the atmosphere and all those kind of things so people will really worship but I can't see without light. I cannot see. I cannot see the scripture. I cannot see any notes that I might be having with me. I can't see. Just the other day, I went fishing, and we got on the lake before sunrise. And I had my poles ready to go. I was all tied up, you know, ready to go. And, and, and so I, I backed the boat in and, and, and got, went back to the, park the truck and going down to get in the boat. And I went, nah, I, don't need my, I don't need my regular glasses. I just need to take my sunglasses because the sun is about to come up. Well, I misjudged when the sun was going to come up, and all I had was my sunglasses, and they're dark. They're dark, so when the sun's up, I can see, right? Too much light is just as, almost as bad as it's not enough light for me. And so I have my sunglasses with me, and it's dark, so I've got them down, and I can see kind of. But when I was stepping, I, I, I should have known there was a problem. When I was stepping off the, the dock to the boat, 
it seemed like it was a 10-foot drop. And I, and I didn't see it. The death perception was gone. And I went, oh, man, I don't want to fall in. I've been falling in a lot lately, and it's, it's a personal thing. And it's cold this time of year. And so I, I got in, and oh, I get steadled up. I said, oh, boy, this is rough, you know. Used to be I could just jump off and do a pirouette and sit down and just go. But not anymore. And we go out, and, and, and Hetty says, this is where they're going to be right here. Let's get him right here. And so he stands up and starts casting. He's a piece of work. Let me tell you, he's like, he's like the river runs through it guy going down the stream with his deal. And, and I'm there, and I'm struggling. The very first cast, I get a backlash. Now, I got my sunglasses on my little rope right here, and I can't see, and I didn't know where the lure went, but I could tell I had a backlash, and I can't see to get the backlash out. I can't see. So I put that one down, and I get another one, and I throw it. It gets hooked up on a, on a tree. <laughs> and I go, man. I said, man, can you go over there and get my lure? I just, oh, yeah, we just started. You know, here you're going. You're just like a kid out here. And, <laughs> and so, I, and finally, I just sit down. And just wait and says, I'm absolutely blind out here. I can't see. I can't fish. I can't do this. And so the sun didn't come up for 30 minutes. I'm going, Jiminy Cricket. Lost all that time. Wouldn't have made a difference with me. But when you're, you're, you have blind spots to where your heart is. That's what Jesus is saying here. And you need to be careful with it. It's a spiritual process to, to keep your heart where it needs to be. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And the darkness was great. I couldn't see, I couldn't do, I couldn't function. I had no awareness of what was around me. I just wait for the sun to come up so I could begin to see. And you know how the sun just barely comes up, seems like, for a while? You look, see, it really goes down, but it barely, it's, it's slow motion coming up when you need to see. And it took a while for me to be able to see things again. Jesus is telling us here that your heart can be in the wrong place and you not see it. Where your treasure is, your heart will be, you struggle, I struggle. Jesus knows it. That's why he's teaching us this. We will struggle knowing where our heart is. That's why it's important to focus on this, to, to ask yourself some questions about where your heart is. Is my heart in the right place? Am I blind to where my heart is? Be careful that you are blind to the earthly things that have control of you. Be careful with that. You may be controlled by things of the world and not realize it. That's, that means that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, I, I've, I've watched enough American Picker shows to know that there's a common theme in some of those shows. Here's the thing. Either the person who owns all the stuff calls the American Pickers for them to come buy stuff from them because they got to get rid of stuff. Or the wife is complaining to the husband, there's too much stuff, we got to get rid of this. Or the children have been talking with the, the, the dad, usually it's the dad, 
and saying, hey, pops, here's the deal. You're going to pass away soon. You're getting older as time goes. I mean, you can't see, you know, you're getting old. You can't, things are messed up for you. And so why don't you, you know, get rid of some of this stuff. We don't want it. Nobody wants it. And wouldn't you like to cash in a little bit and be able to use some of this? You know, your medications are high. You know, you, you, you struggle here and there. You can't repair the house because of your money situation. And, and he agrees to, reluctantly agrees to. And, and so here comes Frank and, and Mike, and they come in there, you know, and here's our, our little paper. This is what we buy, you know, petroleum products and all these other things, signs. And they go in. They start looking around the barn. They got looking around the houses and all the places. And, and they'll dig through just, just seemingly miles of junk, right? And they get down to something, and there they've got this thing. You know, it's a sign, it's a lamp, it's something. It's something that the picker boys think they can sell and make a profit of. And they said, how much is this worth, bud? And he goes, oh, I didn't even know I had that. What would you take for this? That's not for sale. <laughs> Seen that, had you? Oh. And then Mike says, you know, when we go see people, they're attached to things and, and, you know, it takes a while. We got, we got to get the money flowing. We got to get them to buy it on something. They'll go over there to find something else they want to buy. You know, they got this raincoat. How much would you take for this raincoat? That's not for sale. What about, what about this old 36 Ford you got out back? Are you willing to sell that? Nope. It's, but are you going to put it together one day? No, you're not. You got 10 36 Fords out there. You hadn't done nothing, any of them, in 30 years. And, and if his children are there, they just put their head down and shake their head. Can't believe this is going on. I mean, absolutely blind to the hold that stuff has on them. I had a lot of dealings with a, a, a very interesting lady, kind and in many ways and fun and a challenge all at the same time. And, and she's with the Lord now. And uh, the end of her life uh, was nursing homes. And it was always a struggle to find a nursing home that she could afford. And, and I got involved with a lot of that and trying to help out. And I always knew that they owned lots of land that was passed down in the family and that she had complete ownership of the land. And I don't know how much the land was worth. I don't know what kind of price you get, but we all know what land sells for around here. And, and, and so we would deal with a nursing home and talk about how much it costs, how much she has available, you know, whether or not they're going to take her or not. And, and I'm saying she's got those 30 acres that is worth something. And, and most likely she could sell that 30 acres and she could be in the finest nursing home. But in her mind, in her dream, what she thought was that, that she owed it to her family that she would pass that land down to them. Now, that seems worthwhile. And at one point, I reckon that was a worthwhile dream. That was, that was a good thing to do. You know, don't, don't sell it and make it be divided up into about 10 homes, all those kind of things, but, but save it for the family so they can divide it up to 10 homes and get the cash out of it. And, and I would every now and then I would say, you know, why don't you sell that land and that way, however many years the Lord has for you, you can live good. 
You don't have to pinch pennies and you don't have to. No, 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 no. No, I, that's off limits. That's off limits. And, and the, Frank, she was blind to that. And, and I met with uh, the only relative that she had left that was part of that deal, and they didn't want the land. And, and they were saying, I said, they should sell the land. And she said, we, she should, but we can't talk her into it. Maybe you can. I said, oh, no, I can't talk her into nothing. She was blind to it. And here's, she was just misled. And Jesus said that you'll be misled by an earthly treasure. You won't be able to understand. And she made this statement to me one time. She says, I don't understand why God's not providing for me. And I just looked at her and I said, he already has. She said, what do you mean? I said, you got that land. He has provided for you. He has loved you so much that he has set you up. You didn't earn that land. It was given to you. It was given through your husband's family. You have complete rights at land. You don't have to live like this. You need to go now. You need to be gone. Yes. I'll come back. You'll need me soon. Blind to it. A friend of mine went to be the youth minister at a West Texas church that was, you know, had lots of oil money in it. And they had lots of money in their banking account. And he goes in, and the youth group had maybe four or five kids in it, and he was really gung-ho, and he thought, man, we're going to be able to reach. No one is reaching the kids in our town, and we're going to go to work on this. And so he went to work on it. He began to have kids come, and he was having events for them. He was having ice cream socials and watermelon and doing games and playing with them. And, and after he had been there a few months, he began to realize, man, there's a lot we could do here if we just had a few tools to use. And, and so he put a proposal together, and he put a proposal of a new van, basketball court, volleyball court, uh, things that he believed way back yonder in 35, 40 years ago when those kind of things were what kids would want to do. And he, and he went to the uh, budget proposal process, and, and they just took out that red marker and just marked out the van, marked out the basketball, marked out the volleyball, just marked it out. And, and he went to a business meeting. And in the business meeting, the chairman of the finances stood up and says, we are happy to announce that the money that we've got in deposit has made a good increase this year, and we've got a lot of money for our rainy day. We're in good shape. And it was like over a million dollars and something they had available to them, like 1.5, 1.6, huge amount of money. And, and, and he made the mistake of standing up and saying, now, the finance committee uh, took out for the new budget the van and the basketball court and the volleyball court and these things that will help us reach the use. Can't we use a little bit of that money to buy these things so we can reach out to youth? No, absolutely not. We cannot do that. Why can't we do that? It's for a rainy day. There is no rainy day in the body of Christ. If we trust God now, we trust God then. There is no rainy day. We have to be careful. And, and when he told me that story, I, I processed that, that story a lot, and, and, and there's a real struggle in the finance decisions in the church. Always has been. And, and that struggle is how much padding do you need to have? If you're blessed enough to have padding, how much padding do you have? Right? Could it be that God has provided the funds for a purpose and to hold on to the funds is what Jesus is talking about here. You're blind. 
you're blind. I, I have things for you to do. He says, we need to raise money for this project. We've already got the money. Maybe God provided the money for this. What are we saying to God? God, your provision to us is not enough. We need more from you to be able to do what you want us to do. Think about that from his perspective. Think about that from a perspective of, does Jesus have all of our heart? Is our devotion to him, are we trusting him? Sometimes church leaders are blinded by the fact that God has already provided He's already provided. So what Jesus is telling his people is, don't let money blind you to what God has provided or will provide. You see, Jesus wants them to be wholehearted. Jesus wants his people to be completely trusting him for all the things they're going to need one day. We trust him now. We walk forward by faith now, and, and the idea of we've got to have enough money saved up for then, that is mistrusting him then, and we need to be careful with that. And so there needs to be a lot of tension. Are people not going to be helped because we've got to have a padding? What does that say and what, what kind of hold that money has on us? Is it saying to God, God, we, we trust what you've done. You've given us these funds, but we're not sure you're going to trust us in the future, so we're going to hold on to these funds. That's the blindness that Jesus is talking about. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. Is there a possibility that we as individuals, that we as a church family, that we as Jesus people are blind to what Jesus has given us. You need to be careful of that. And then he summarizes it together and he pulls it all together in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. No one. No one can serve two masters. Not anybody. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. That's important for us to understand. There's no one that knows enough about the Bible that cannot serve two masters, that can serve two masters. None of us can serve two masters. Paul couldn't. Peter couldn't. Billy Graham can't. No one can serve two masters. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot of the kingdom. You can't straddle the fence. He's saying, you've got to be all in. You've got to be wholehearted. You can't be divided in your devotion to me. It doesn't work. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We can't, we can't do that. We can't do that. He says here, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve them both. And so Jesus knew that we'd be sitting here today, and, and he knows that today, just like then, one of our biggest struggles was going to be our relationship with money. For some of us, it has a real strong hold on us. It has nothing to do with how much money we have or don't have. Because money, whether you're poor or wealthy, middle class, wherever you rank in the economic structure, money can have a strong hold on you. And, and you need to be able to know where your heart is. Because Jesus wants us to be wholehearted. And so ask yourself these questions. These questions. 
Are you laying up treasures for the earth or are you laying up treasures for the kingdom of heaven? Where are you laying your treasure? Where is your heart? Could it be that you're blind to where your heart is? Could it be that you're blind to the hold that things of this world has on you? And Jesus says to us in verse 24 is great love and, and grace here. I mean, it's for our best. It's for what we need the most. He says, you got to understand, in my kingdom, you have come to me. You're coming to me. You know me. You can't serve two masters. You've got to have the right uh, understanding, the right perspective. You've got to be wholehearted because you'll hate one and hate the other. You'll have an unhealthy relationship if you have two masters. You can't have two masters. It's like a tug of war that's going to pull you apart. And his, his love for us says, you got to understand, you cannot serve me and money too. And you got to make that decision. And so that's the word of Jesus to us. He, Jesus, Jesus wants his people to be wholehearted. A lot to think about. May the Spirit speak to your heart today. Father, help us to understand, help us to know, help us to be aware of where our heart is today. In Jesus' name, amen.